Lee Henson Hasty. I'm Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development at the Presbyterian Foundation. That's a ministry mission of um, the Committee on Theological Education to support future ministers that go to Presbyterian seminaries like where Shannon teaches, the Louisville Presbyterian Seminary, where I'm an alum and my wife is an alum, where I got married. There's, I'll stop there. Shannon, thanks for being here on sabbatical. I didn't know that when I was asking you, so I'm glad you're in your home study there. Thanks for being here today. I'm delighted to be here. One of the hazards of sabbatical for someone like me is I miss getting to talk theology with students and other professors. And this many months into my sabbatical, I'm reduced to tracking down strangers on the street to talk about pneumatology. So <laughs> I'm grateful to get to talk with you instead. And I'm sure the, the neighbors are really grateful. They just right. don't know all the reasons. Well, it's going to be kind of windy this afternoon. Hopefully our internet will st stay together. But the Holy Spirit is moving, moving right now among us. And I can see it. Um, Leanne Clawson I'm from North Iowa and the Iowa Faith Leadership Network. Thanks for being here. Um, we're here to talk about, um, on the topic of Disciplined Hope, Shannon's new book, uh, relatively new book, uh, Prayer, Politics, and Resistance. Um, just a beautiful uh, book from Cascade Books. This, I was saying earlier, some of you were with me last week, another Cascade imprint is Claudio Carvalho's Praying with Every Heart. And this is just a beautiful follow-up to show what prayer looks like. It's a journal, really, of real, you know, live prayers. We'll talk about this soon. Uh, Shannon is a theologian. She's a graduate um, of uh, the local high school in Nitro, West Virginia. Uh, what's that? Uh, you told me Winfield. the name. Winfield. Winfield graduate. <laughs> Uh, and she uh, also was a Quaker at Guilford. Uh, the Fighting Quakers. I always think that's so hilarious. Quaker. The, the cheer was, uh, hustle Quakers, <laughs> give them hail. <laughs> that's awesome. I have family and friends who went to Guilford. Love, love Guilford in Greensboro, North Carolina. And then her um, graduate degrees, multiple degrees, including her PhD, and where her first teaching assignment was at Yale University, Yale Divinity School. Um, before coming to Louisville Seminary. She's ordained a member of uh, the Presbyterian of Southern New England, uh, PCUSA. Um, thanks. We're going to post her website, uh, shannoncraigosnell.com, and her bio and CV, which you can find on the Louisville Seminary, lpts.edu website uh, in, the, in the chat. Um, but just grateful for all your work around Carl Reiner, um, around... Um, Hope and res the book, um, No Bystanders. It's called No Bystanders. No Innocent Bystanders. No Innocent Bystanders. We used it in a, in a church school class. It was so wonderful, partly in the context of you taking students to Ferguson. I mean, that's the kind of professor we're talking about with Shannon Craigos now. She is not just sitting in a classroom, right? That's... <laughs> Probably you are out talking to people in the street about theology, aren't you? That's right. Literally. That's right. I can't help it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so thanks for who you are and thanks for being here today. Um, the question I ask my guests just to get us started is one I think you know is coming around your vocation and call, uh, which is always evolving, um, I think, and changing, um, hopefully, by the Holy Spirit, the call of the Spirit, right? Um, she's working on pneumatology right now. Um, 
what is it that is making you come alive? Howard Thurman asked that of his congregation and friends, because what we, what we need is people who are coming alive. Or as Katie Geneva Cannon said, what is the work your soul must have these days, Shannon? So I've already kind of answered this um, indirectly. I come alive when I get to talk about things that really matter with mm. other people. When I get to do theology in conversation, mm. um, right now, a lot of the conversations that I'm having are with books, <laughs> um, with friends who live between pages, as uh, Amy planting a pal says. But I really come alive when I get to be in a classroom or mm. in a restaurant or in a church basement with people and we talk about theology. Um, a pastor and colleague named Shantia Monroe says that it's a way of thinking of theology as liturgy, mm. not in the sense of a uh, ritual, but rather in the sense of the work of the people. Work of the people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like theology uh, as the work of the people has never been more important in the United States than it is right now, and especially among white Christians mm, who right. are not racist or xenophobic. We mm. have, we need to be doing a lot of work right now um, to, to offer and encourage and live out of a Christianity that is not based on or uh, covering white nationalism. Wow. Okay, see folks, we're gonna go right to talking about things that matter. You, you're doing it. Um, I know a project that you've been involved in and we are gonna post it in the chat um, is uh, called Breakdown Whiteness, Catherine Blanchard, Hannah Bowman, Amy Labod, and Kate Ott. I think these are theologians. And ethicists. And ethicists, yes. Breakdownwhiteness.org. Yes. Um, um, it must be a place that um, helps folks work with those kind of questions. Is that right? Yes. In the summer of 2020, uh, a black woman who's an activist uh, put out a call on Twitter and said, I need some white people to put together a resource for white people because I'm tired of, I can't spend any more energy right. doing the basic education. That's, that's our work, right? That's, that's our, our work. work. <laughs> and of course, there are lots of resources out there. So Breakdown Whiteness does not reinvent the wheel, but it's uh, it presents resources in ways that are very accessible and resources of lots of different kinds, videos, podcasts, books, articles, mm -hmm. and looking at structural racism. So it's a great resource for um, for those of us who, who have a lot to learn. And, right, and I think right. that's probably all of us. Right, exactly. Right. Um, when you said earlier, for those who are not racist, I always said like, I hope I'm not, but I know I am, you know, but at least I know that, right? I, I think that's probably where you're, you're coming from is, and there's always stuff to work on, um, for sure. And, and this, I mean, the book and 
no innocent bystanders is also i feel like a sort of case study um you know the way it the way it's written i know it's it's a it's a handbook in a way for for groups to stand alongside and in solidarity and be allies especially uh, that was in the middle of you know the ferguson um kind of crisis and there were multiple crises that are still going right <laughs> you know but standing right. alongside out in the street um and what that looks like which a lot of presbyterians this is not it's in our DNA and it's in our stories, but we don't always talk about it as much. I mean, we are Protestant, right? That's right. <laughs> Am I off base here, Shannon? No, you're not. You know, we're learning more about things that are in our DNA. There are lots of things that require both a genetic predisposition and then an external event to mm -hmm. activate them. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It is in Presbyterian DNA to protest and mm. to um, stand against injustice. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes we need uh, an external push to do that. Right. Um, in 2014, along with my colleague, Christopher Dusso, we looked at each other and said, the Nazis are coming. Yeah, right. And we didn't know how literal that right. Was, you know, <laughs> yeah, that was pre Charlottesville. And we we thought we might have been being mm -hmm. overly. Um, but we wrote together for that book, No Innocent Bystanders. We started out writing a pretty academic book mm -hmm. about the ways that um, straight people have been pretty good allies uh, mm -hmm. to LGBTQ folks. Mm -hmm. recently at least mm -hmm. whereas mm -hmm. white people tend to be terrible allies for people mm -hmm. of color particularly black people in america and so we were kind of looking at why why is one easier than the other why are we better at one than the other and we'd actually written the whole manuscript and it was in the hands of the press and um then the 2016 election happened wow and the editor uh, contacted us and said, we need you to make this less academic and we need, need you to put a chapter at the end that says, go do this now. Mm, right. Um, and so it became more of a handbook because of the external factors at the time mm -hmm. and that we're still in the midst of. Yeah. Well, and I feel like this book, this Disciplined Hope sort of continues that journey and maybe it's partly, you know, I'm, my wife and I know, I think this week we celebrated the birthday of uh, Dorothy Day, um, who, who lived these things out right in her own time, um, where there were, there were spiritual, you know, sort of um, practices um, that they, you know, she did as well as sort of, you know, she was writing the newspaper and what have you, Catholic worker. But I feel like No Innocent Bystanders is talking about sort of that out in the street. And I feel like this is some of that internal um, right. kind of spiritual work, but you were public because these started all, all is just, you didn't start writing this book as an idea. You started writing Facebook posts as prayers to stay engaged, right? Because of the 2016 election was at the start. Right. And so it was an accidental book. I accidentally mm -hmm. wrote a book. Um, that's what happens when you stop your neighbors on the streets to talk about pneumatology, you end up accidentally <laughs> writing books. Right. And, um, it, you're really, really accurate to say that it goes hand in hand with the No Innocent Bystanders 
but it's mm. talking more about the spiritual disciplines that we need to sustain that. Mm -hmm. I think many, um, many of us who are engaged in politics mm -hmm. um, know that how, how draining that can be or engaged in justice work, I should say, mm -hmm. um, how you can't sustain that without right. spiritual practices or you can't sustain it well mm -hmm. without spiritual disciplines. So right after the 2016 election, I was so overwhelmed with fear mm. um, and outrage. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like being in that space all the time. I felt like my spiritual posture was being distorted in mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like, well, that is not unintentional that there are um, people, I want to say forces, but let's be honest, forces and just people who recognize people. the amount of power and money to be uh, garnered by making folks afraid and outraged. Right. So how, how to be faithful in that, in, in the midst of that as a Christian includes, for me at least, resisting the spiritual posture mm -hmm. of outrage and fear. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, once a day, I'm going to write a little prayer that's uh, joyful or hopeful. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to post it on Facebook. And I said that as a way to make myself do it. Mm -hmm. And what happened was really remarkable that all kinds of people started joining me. Um, you know, my kid came home from high school and said, you know, my, my friends, so-and-so, they read these at dinner every night. They're not Christian. Wow. I started getting, you know, I got a phone call from a group of veterans on the way to a demonstration in North Carolina saying, can you pray for us? We're doing this. Oh, wow. That gave me chills right there. Veterans. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm, this sure, whole... I'm sure it did you too. <laughs> oh my goodness. So this whole kind of community it emerged virtually, which I didn't really know was possible before then, honestly. <laughs> and I think that there, there's more, I'm not the only one needing to find right, ways right. to resist the mm -hmm. fear and outrage that's being, being encouraged. That had to give you hope to just, you know, that, that you were not alone, that there was a community, there were others, people you knew, people you didn't really knew, or three steps away from you. I mean, that had to be encouraging to you and keep you, keep you going. <laughs> Is that, cause that's a lot. It, it <laughs> meant so much and it still does. Right. It's really easy to feel uh, like those who care about others are a minority. We're not a minority. Mm -hmm. We're not, we just don't have the biggest microphones. Mm -hmm. um, and we're too busy trying to do, do things to have, right. uh, have the biggest <laughs> microphones. You said that must give you hope. <laughs> and one of the premises of the book is that hope is, well, to use really traditional Christian language, it's a virtue. Mm -hmm. And another word for virtue is a habit. Mm. And the metaphor for that, that I find compelling is it's a muscle. Mm. Um, it's a discipline. That you, you have to, you have to exercise this muscle. That we don't just wait for things that make us hopeful. We practice being mm -hmm. hopeful every day. 
Amen. It, and that hope isn't just optimism, right? Mm -hmm. Christian hope isn't optimism. Mm -hmm. It's not thinking this is going to work out fine. Mm -hmm. Rather, Christian hope, as I understand it, is living in the knowledge that God can do a new thing. Mm -hmm. How do we do that every day? Right, 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 right. That's got a, um, it's, I'm thinking field of dreams, like build it <laughs> and they will come. I mean, pray it, pray the hope and it will come. I also had this image of you, like your little light of hope, you know, that you're just trying to protect and keep going day in and day out. And all of a sudden it's lighting others. I mean, it's, uh, and that kind of image of, um, you know, it only takes a spark to, <laughs> to get a fire going is how we sang it at, at church camp. <laughs> at church camp, that's right. And, and then all these other people, each of the prayers in the book is about someone else mm. keeping and what they're doing to, right. that, to make the world, to support the common good. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the book has two parts. First, it has uh, a reflection on what prayer is because goodness, that year of prayer, public prayer really changed my understanding of prayer and deepened mm. it quite a bit. So the first part of the book is let's, let's talk about prayer. Um, and then the second part is this like a journal of daily mm -hmm. prayers, mm -hmm. which are oddly kind of a, a historical chronicle of the ways that mm -hmm. people in the United States resisted our worst instincts right. in, uh, in the first year of the Trump administration. It makes me, you know, um, we always talk about, you, you mentioned the Nazis earlier and Leanne Clausen is talking about that, that she thought it was so right. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, it's making me think when you made this comment as we read Bonhoeffer, you know, mm -hmm. um, this, uh, this is the kind of book like you're writing in the midst of, of the difficult time. And I think it's important to read and go back maybe and read yourself. I bet you learned some things about yourself, you know, going back to read over this and, you know, how do we make it through when it gets so hard? And that's, I feel like so much a part of the Christian story in life. Um, Anna Pickney Strait is liking your comment about hope is virtue and habit. She says that Jennifer Harvey uh, Williams lecture at Vanderbilt Divinity last week, she talked about um, hope similarly as a choice. You know, that's what you're talking about. I mean, it's something we choose to do and and to see people making and you're point, not just yourself, you're pointing to others who are making this choice and having this virtue and this discipline. I think that's so powerful. And then, um, first of all, you, talking about anything I've written in the same paragraph with anything Bonhoeffer's <laughs> ever written, it's very flattering. And, and anyone thinking of reading this book should know that he's just being nice. Um, <laughs> secondly, yeah, it's a choice. And, and the thing about making choices is the, they form us. Most mm. choices aren't a one-off it's every right. day. Right. And so you kind of get in the habit of, mm -hmm. you know, and there are little things, am I going to drink soda or am I going to drink water? You know, right. one's better <laughs> for my teeth, but <laughs> right. you know, right. and you start, drinking water until it doesn't occur to you to drink a soda anymore. And right. every now and then I'll take a sip of somebody else's and think, Oh my goodness, this is 
I, I can't believe I used to drink this all day long. Right. <laughs> and that's, of course, a tiny thing. But the bigger things in our life work work similarly, that we mm -hmm. we practice our, cho mm -hmm. our choices until they become part of us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's particularly true theologically and of spiritual disciplines. Amen. They form us. What are some other, I bet people would be curious to know, what are some other choices uh, and uh, toward hope and life and um, that you feel like God is calling you and, and maybe others toward these days? You're on sabbatical and you're probably having time to think a little bit more about that. Um, right. So I've got two. One that will be real familiar is... Um, I feel like God is calling me back to scripture again and again and again and again. You're reformed, aren't you? I, I am. It's just, it's unfortunate, but there it is. <laughs> there it is. Um, I, especially that, that in the times that seem, the more chaotic things seem right. around me, mm -hmm. the more I need to go back to this text. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. second is bluntness. <laughs> um, it's the time for nicety was, if it right. ever existed a right. long time ago. Right. And some of the rules that we were taught about politeness, mm -hmm. that you're not supposed to talk about religion or sex or race or, or politics. politics <laughs> those, that notion of, of what is considered polite is part of how oppression keeps going. Mm -hmm. And it's time for Christians of good faith, mm -hmm. Christians who want to make the world uh, more compassionate and mm. just, it's time for us to be really, really blunt, mm. um, to use words like racism and white supremacy, to use words like Jesus and resurrection. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think it's time to be blunt. Now, maybe this is just, maybe this is the spirit. I think it's the spirit. It might be menopause. Not really sure. <laughs> but I think you're right. I mean, I hear it from preachers too, and it's a good word to preachers out there. And a lot of folks who preach week to week, uh, watch the show, listen to the podcast, Leading Theologically. I forgot to mention that earlier. Um, feel free to, to subscribe and review. Um, that would be great. Um, is... Yeah, just saying it. I mean, loving others, right? Letting them know you love and care about them, but also being, I hear that, that bluntness is like, let's be honest. Let's be authentic. Let's yeah. be truthful. Um, and if, if I hurt your feelings, okay, let's talk about that. Why, you know, I mean, it's, it becomes an invitation. You know, it's, I have the, you know, Barbara Brown Taylor talks about doing exegesis as rubbing the scripture until you hit the the splinter. Maybe good doing good theology and good Christian life is kind of rubbing till you hit a splinter. That's great. <laughs> you know, yeah. and let, talk, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, and another a companion discipline is being able to apologize. Sure. You know, earlier I said those of us who aren't racist, and you caught it, and that was <laughs> great. And you said, well, I don't want to be, but I am. Um, the Presbyterian theologian Letty Russell used to talk about being a recovering racist, oh, like being wow. a recovering alcoholic. And I love Letty Russell so much. I bet she taught you, I bet, didn't yes. she? Oh, wow. Letty yeah. Russell. 
I'm sorry. Um, he's an, an amazing mentor, but that um, we practice apologizing mm-hmm. every Sunday. We practice Amen. saying, right. I got it wrong and this mm-hmm. is not what God intended and I'm sorry and mm-hmm. I'm going to try and do it better next week. Um, and then we have so much trouble doing that the other six days a week. So I think we right. need to somehow connect that discipline of connection in our liturgy to being Mm -hmm. able to apologize in our daily life. Cause I need to all the time. Part of being blunt is, is accidentally hurting someone's feelings. Sometimes they need to be because things need to be said that are impolite, Mm -hmm. but sometimes because I'm just bumbling. And so the, the, the notion of telling the truth, as plainly and lovingly as possible goes hand in hand with being willing to apologize. You you know, I love this. You're making me think, and I know our time is running low here, but I'm sure this idea of expanding the idea of liturgy being the work of the people. I think a lot of folks can say that as being more than just a um, Sunday worship practice, (laughs) that liturgical theological work, happens in daily in conversations like we're having right now and in conversations on the street and conversations in committees on uh, conversations in the public square and i mean that's liturgy <laughs> um alive i mean and um some of us are probably better at it than others uh but it takes you might practice not need to apologize quite as much as i do <laughs> but, but it takes practice it takes practice right cool. to do it well and um and and there's a lot of intentionality around good liturgy yeah. um i love i love that idea and um so before we go tell us what you're working on next so folks can get excited about that <laughs> uh, uh, that's very kind of you i am writing a commentary on the gospel of john for the belief series oh i love this series people if y'all don't know this it's great also, i know uh anna case winters we had on here and she did one for the gospel of matthew so it's like theologians writing biblical commentaries right right yeah. i am not a biblical scholar but it's right. the theologians writing about how this text speaks to us today that's and, beautiful um, Amy Planting a Pow edits right. the series. She's gathered just, I'm in awe of the, the folks who've already published. It's a really diverse and um, right. brilliant crowd. So I'm just kind of honored to be um, not, in on the surprised. tail end of it. <laughs> so that's, that's what I'm doing. And I have a, you know, kind of the next thing on my list is, is, um, looking at the theology of survivor's guilt, mm. which I think mm. a lot of us are yeah. having in these COVID right. days. It's, we we are in in a hospital recently and talking to a nurse who was talking about she has this, you know, you know, with yeah. other nurses. Oh, this that's great. So much to look forward to. Friends, get to know Shannon, the Reverend Doctor Shannon Craig Oshnell, if you hadn't already, and um, know that uh, um, you're. We're, you have resources and friends. You're not alone, right? Uh, at Louisville Seminary, even. Um, and and uh, she mentioned Amy Plantinga Powell, also a great theologian. Um, and read up on. Um, thanks for making time today, friends. Thank we're going to so be getting. Oh, me. my pleasure. I'd love for you to give a benediction after I tell people about.
um, in two weeks, just after um, Thanksgiving, I think it's December the 1st, we'll have the Reverend Dr. Bruce Reyes Chow, former moderator. He's a pastor in California. Um, Bruce um, is going to be talking about a recent experience he had. He can talk about a lot of things, um, but pastoring uh, with COVID. So he, um, he was fully vaccinated and all that, but uh, unfortunately had one of the breakthrough cases. He's going to talk to us about that experience, and I think it'll be really rich. Um, his book recently on kindness also, I think, um, speaks to, to some of the things we need to hear today. But um, thanks for joining us, everyone, and especially you, Shannon. Would you be willing to send us on our way? Yes. Um, let us go with, with hope. Um, pray with me. God of mercy, we give you thanks for communities that gather in strange new ways, online and across distances. We give you thanks for the communities on our streets when we stop to talk to neighbors about things that matter, mm. or when we march with our neighbors about things that matter. Right. We ask you to help us to do the work of the people in our own lives, in our spiritual disciplines of prayer and meditation, in our work together in the church, and in our work together in the world. Mm. Holy Spirit, be present among us. May your guidance be clear. Give us boldness and energy and give us hope. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Mother of us all. Amen. 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 Um, you stay safe and uh, keep writing. And I hope I, I run into you on the street sometime because I'd love to talk about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. Thanks, everybody. Take care.